Welcome to this episode of the Mindful Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. I'm a sales strategist, sales coach. I help sales team deliver better results. This series is about insightful leadership. It's all about gifted leaders who employ brilliant and unusual strategies to great effect. You can find me at jasoncooper.ie or jcooper at jasoncooper.ie. Enjoy this with Brian Colbert. Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome everyone to my Mindful Leadership podcast. And today I'm absolutely delighted. I've absolutely got him on board, kicking and screaming. I've got Brian Corbett here today, and we're going to be talking about his history and where he's at today and lots and lots of good stuff. I know I've known Brian for about five or six years. Um little bit about him. He's the co-founder of the Irish Institute of NLP. He's a master trainer of NLP. He's a psychotherapist. He's a hypnotherapist. He's a best-selling author uh, of three books, so I believe, and I've read them all, and they're all pretty good. They're all very, very good. He's a consultant. He's a corporate trainer. He's worked with the likes of Google, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo. He's been on uh, a flurry of Irish and international radio stations. Uh, RTE, TV3, Today FM, he's a biz all-star, and he's he's probably one of the best mind coaches in Europe, and probably one of the best master trainers around, I, I would suspect, and I know he's highly, highly recommended. That's why so many internationals come to his training courses, as I have on many occasions. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming on board today. Great to be here, Jason. Good to see you. So my first question is, tell me about um, a little bit about your life to date and how you got into what you got into and how you started your business out. Okay, well, our, I'm at a stage now where I've become, I've really come full circle in what I began doing. So the way I began, in, in the first instance, I was always interested in how the mind would operate, how people mm -hmm. actually do and why they do what they do. Um, so that was just always an interest for me. So at that stage... Um, and you're going right back to the 80s at that stage. At that time, a lot of this stuff like hypnosis and mindfulness and all of this stuff was new, was brand new. Uh, the uh, silver method, all this type of stuff. I was just exploring and, and finding out how did that actually work. And I had a friend that used to say, I'm going to go in and try out this stuff. If I come out, my brain is broken, fix it for me. That's the way I was thinking. Because, you know, we didn't know at that stage how good it was or how dangerous it was or whatever. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time doing all of that. But one of the things I was in business, um, basically, and I, when I would say I was in business, I was I was working in business. And okay. one of the things that happened, I was really stressed. I said I need to do something with the stress. And I started looking around at different stuff, and I saw hypnosis. And I said, okay, there's a course in Cork at the Institute of Clinical Hypnotherapy and Psychotherapy, and it was in the independent newspaper. And says, you know, if you want to manage your stress, uh, do this course. I didn't know that the course was actually start your own business course along with it as well. Oh, wow. I went off. Yeah, I went off, I'd done it. And so then I really liked, I liked the whole idea of hypnosis. And then I started to go into practice part-time. So at that time I was in business. Uh, basically, I was a production manager in a direct marketing firm. Uh, basically, I was doing, you know, a jack of all trades, really. Um, basically, I was doing HR, I was doing uh, the, the management as well, the operations. But ultimately, I started to do the one-to-one -one client interventions then during the evening. And eventually I just got so busy um, that... 
I had to say I, to make a choice on one or the other. Um, so I said, listen, I know where I want to go. I know where I want to be. And the final conversation I had in the business that I was in was when the um, boom was starting, uh, basically in Ireland. And what happened was is that people were getting really, really busy and it was hard to keep staff. Now, I had a way of managing staff. So that what I would do is I'd always overskill them, upskill mm -hmm. them and know that while I had them to be highly motivated and then they'd move on. But I'd always have them motivated and engaged and thankful and all that type of stuff. The correct way to manage anybody. Yeah. But ultimately, I remember the um, managing director ringing me and saying, Brian, there's uh, lots of people are losing their staff. What are you doing wrong? And I said, I'll tell you what I'm doing wrong. I'm working here. I'm leaving. <laughs> so, the bottom line is, if that was wrong, you know what I mean? There was something wrong with the ideology, with the technology, with the, with the mindset. So I said, no. They, they were thinking all the time, you know, that staff was something that basically, in order to keep them, you must be doing something wrong. I was getting uh, productivity outputs in excess of anybody, like 300% productivity output. I was installing systems, ISO 9000, the quality systems, all that. And I was getting performance. So there was no question about that. And people were motivated. The thing mm -hmm. is that people did leave because they would leave because they were being trained as they moved along the path. And that's that was, to me, was a win-win for everybody. Mm -hmm. They were with me, they'd be engaged and fully occupied. And basically, and as they were learning for themselves, they were moving up their own rungs, their own ladders, either within the organization or within other organizations as well, which to me, that's what it's all about. But that's mm -hmm. that kind of pushed me into the hypnotherapy side of things. And okay. so then I started, yeah. Then I started doing that. And and at that stage, then um I basically I started to look into NLP. It was a, a thing I was really sick at one stage, had a migraine or migraine headache. And I, I literally took to bed. It was just really causing problems. But I picked I'd been handed a book beforehand and um, by uh, my wife's um business partner she's a hairdresser and she handed me this book with flowers on it i said well not flowers leaves i said i won't be reading that anytime soon <laughs> so but while i was in bed i said okay i might as well read this thing i picked up the book all these uh, red leaves on it stop using your brain for a change I, said, I can't do too much harm my brain's already broken but i read it and i was using your brain uh, basically by richard bandler and, mm -hmm. and as i began to read it I liked his irreverence. I liked the way he was burning sacred cows type of thing. And I liked his humor, which I said, ah, so someone's actually using humor while they're actually changing things. And I said, that's really, that was really attractive to me. I started to read it. That was the beginning of NLP. From there then, uh, I'd been doing the course. Basically, I'd, I'd already completed that course. And I met Owen Fitzpatrick, who was a, a friend of mine. And basically, over time, we just set up the Irish Institute of NLP. We decided we like this NLP thing. I noticed he was very competent, very good at a very young age. I said, mm -hmm. how come he's that good uh, so quickly? And I asked him, he says, well, that's NLP, Brian. I said, okay, well, then we need to do this. Um, and we took it from there. We opened up the Institute. That was in 2000. And from there, we've been training all over the world, uh, basically, and literally, you know, the, the kind of rest is history. Um, insofar as from the NLP perspective. But one of the things that I was doing between all of that is that I was trained as an analyst, a psychoanalyst or a hypnoanalyst. And I knew there was something in that, but it didn't wasn't quite right. There was something missing as well. Just like mm -hmm. an NLP, I knew there was something in it, but there was something missing as well. And eventually, that took me back to the work of Milton Erickson, Virginia Satir. And when I tapped into the Virginia Satir stuff, I said, ah, now I find out, I found out what's missing in it. Basically, so the full loop for me, the full circle for me, kind of starting out as a psychoanalyst and really ending up as a, as a, a psychoanalyst of sorts in terms of Satir's work is analytical from that point of view. Mm -hmm. So that integrates really well with the NLP. It gives it the, the, the chunk that I feel is missing 
full circle at this stage. Wow. Oh, that's some of the stuff I never knew about you, actually, which is really quite intriguing. So um, tell me where do you think you're going? Because ever since I've known you, all the courses that I've been on with you is different. And from what I've understood is you keep evolving and evolving and moving forward and coming up with different ideas. For Where do you think you're moving towards uh, from now and in the future? How, how do you do you see the Institute evolving? How do you see yourself moving forward as well? Okay, so one of the things that I think that we, as trainers for a start or coaches, we owe it to our delegates or to our clients or patients to continually evolve. First of all, that's the nature of nature is evolution. You're, you know, either you're going forwards or you're going backwards. There's no standing still. Mm-hmm. But the real thing is to evolve, continue to evolve. So for that reason, I'm always learning I don't believe in one discipline. I believe in an eclectic approach in drawing from all areas. And that's why NLP appealed to me in the first place, because it looks at modeling disciplines. It's not even a discipline itself. It's a discipline in inverted commas about other disciplines. So I mm-hmm. like to, to model and elicit and to, to, to find out other structures that work and integrate. And I've always done that. That's why I'll always do new stuff. I'll always keep evolving. I'll always keep changing. In terms of the direction that I'm going, and um, very simply, basically, uh, on a really uh, kind of, it might sound like a lofty goal, but my higher direct, uh, see my mission, my charismatic vision or vision, you want to put it that way, is world peace. That's my target, yeah. So now I know I'm not going to get there, but the thing yeah. is, that's no reason not to have it as a target. And the the the, the way I approach this is, and and this is why I like Regina so much. Uh, basically, her process was peace within, peace between, and peace among. Okay, mm-hmm. so and that piece within is the part that I'm operating on at the moment. So a lot of the work that I'm doing is to get that inner balance and to get and I, I mean not just for myself, basically, um, but for when I'm working with clients, basically to get that inner balance, inner peace, get rid of the conflict, stuff that even when you use NLP it gets so far and there's a little bit left over type of thing, the the, the meta programs, the imprints that are still there, mm-hmm. getting rid of those so you get a balanced human being, a powerful human being. And when we're powerful and adjusted, then our distress patterns and then our reactive patterns, they fall away a lot more easily or they're at least more manageable so that we're more responsible, more uh, responsive to our environment rather than reactive to our environment. But that leaves us, uh, leaves a human being much more powerful, much more capable and competent and much more compassionate and loving and affectionate, uh, which is what we need. But that that allows peace within. And then what Mm -hmm. you want is that peace between. When you're feeling that way, well, then you're not going to bark. You're not going to bite as much. You're not going to attack. You're not going to feel insecure. You're not going to feel all those things that happen when people generate conflict. My other background is interrogations and conflict um, and uh, interrogations, which is uh, conflict resolution. My specialty is conflict resolution, conscious and subconscious. And this is this part of the merge of the world. And so this is about allowing people to be able to interact in that basis where there isn't that conflict or they have tools to manage the conflict. And it's not coming from distress patterns. It's coming from collaboration, cooperation, rather than uh, competition and restriction. Mm-hmm. So if we get that, then what we can build, we can build units, we can build organizations, we can build groups, we can build countries, we can build you know entities that are literally uh, supportive, generative, collaborative, and mm-hmm. peace orientated. And that's your that's that's why I say I might sound a bit lofty, but the thing is world peace. Why not have the biggest goal possible? You know, and well, that's see, a massive and, goal. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is, even if I fail tr- trying, which I will do, I will make progress. And that's mm-hmm. you know, it's you know, the every single thing that you do in this stuff um, leads it's a pebble in that ocean. And the more people that do it, 
You know, you ask, where's the institute gone? Well, it's about creating more people like that. I've been very selective and you may be aware, as you know, I've been very, uh, very precise about who I've recruited into these programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of because I know there's a, a level you need to be at before you can actually there's a kind of discipline in metaphysics where you know people literally over 50 before they learn the higher spiritual disciplines kind of now that I'm over 50 myself I kind of understand some of that stuff too or maybe I'm just old I don't know but <laughs> the, some of the parts is that there's sometimes that you just need to be in a space to be able to add a dimension to to your reality um, and basically that's part of where the selection process is fairly precise. Even though anybody can benefit from the program, I offer the program for you know anyone and everyone. But when it goes up the levels, I become very selective. And as the and, and that might be a distortion in my thinking or whatever. I think it's just too this stuff too good, too powerful, and too too impactful uh, mm-hmm. to mess with. You know. So and as as you know, we train our guys really thoroughly. Probably yeah. more than anyone else is trained in terms of from the coaching uh, process and profession. And um, you know, we really give them, as you know, constant innovation, constant newness, it's constant development, it's constant evolution. That's what it should be. You know, it should you should know um, or be at least further down the road than the people that you're actually um, helping as much as possible. And it can't be perfect, but you should be at least working on it. Mm-hmm. I find that absolutely fascinating. Like, And uh, thanks for that gift that you've given me because it's really sort of helped me through some challenging and troubled times. I know last year wasn't a, a great year, but I know this year is better, but I was working on myself all the way through that. And I know when I first went on this journey uh, back in 2014, I, I suppose it was before that when I was seeing jumping around on Tony Robbins stage uh, back in 2003 and I went back the, the following year, that's what really got me interested. And I, I was looking back through my emails uh, today and I remember sending you an email back in 2010 and I was looking at it and going, wow. And I remember working around the corner from you and I sent you an email in 2012, I think, wanting you to come on as a, a doing some sales training. I, I do remember that. I was literally two minutes around the corner from where you are. So uh, delighted that I came on board and delighted that I sort of raised my game. But we know that we're in sort of a, a challenging, uh, adverse time. And a friend of mine said to me, we've gone through the, the last five months, which has been sort of the dark ages. And now we've come out of that. And it's sort of like the revelations, like everything is, we've all changed and moved forward. And interesting times that we've connected with lots of people connection with our neighbors that we never thought we'd never connect with, connect with people internationally that I've had to do. So tell me about where you're at in how you've seen the last uh, five months of this uh, crazy time that we've had. Okay, well, basically, uh, you know from me that I'm more introverted than I am extroverted. So basically, I hate people. I just do it for (laughs) everything. So no, but basically... Um, I can spend a lot of time without being in the company of loads of people. And when I do spend time with people, which I do enjoy, I have yeah. to go back and I have to go back into the cave. So when the you know pandemic happened, you know, I, it took me a while to catch up to realize was something wrong. I never noticed, yeah, because I don't go out that much really. And, you know, and when I go out into my circle, I see, and that's a fairly limited circle, which is what the bubbles are. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 like, I love training. I love doing stuff like that. But, you know, that has to be limited and I have to pull back from it. So I enjoy all of that. I enjoy the connections. But the thing is, for me, you know, a lot of stuff is as normal. It's not really different to me. 
Um, you know, basically, I, I don't see huge differences. There's certain things like that, you know, you know, not being able to do certain things. But it to me, it's to me personally, it's mm-hmm. no big deal because I spend a lot of time in the background. I spend a lot of time working, researching, developing stuff, and all that type of stuff. And that all lends to be indoors or to being excluded from people. A lot of what I do to understand people is spent learning away from people, which is. <laughs> ironic like yeah but it's the usual thing it's the mechanic with a with, with a bad car almost it's that um but ultimately you know so for me um i can see the impacts on people i can see the dramatic impact say for um you know for uh Teresa, my wife uh all of the things a lot of the things anyway that she really enjoyed like they you know going out socializing stuff like that even going shopping yeah. things like that that's every bit of that was has been taken away and if you were that way orientated if you're outward orientated or extrovert and stuff like that, that is horrendous. And what you're getting is people being, uh, they, they're carrying an underlying stress of overwhelm. And mm-hmm. so what you'll hear and how you hear this stuff is people say, oh, I just feel flat. I feel emotionally flat. I, I feel, I just can't get motivated. I just, I'm overeating. I'm, I'm doing this stuff. I'm just sitting and vegetating and stuff like that. It's because of all this bundle of energy that's not finding an outlet. And mm-hmm. so some of them are rediscovering it as a beginning. It's all oh, up this new thing that we're doing. We're in the second phase now, and that's where the danger is. That's where the mental health dangers really are. It's where mm-hmm. those people are not given that outlet to get out and connect and do all this stuff. Thankfully, you've got things like Zoom. Thankfully, you have situations, say, like yourself, and you'd be outgoing, obviously, and Jason, in that way, and you like to connect with people as well. Mm-hmm. That, that gives you your energy and stuff. And as you said, you're finding that you're connecting to people from all over the world, which is great. Like, you know, if you didn't have Zoom, if you didn't have a, a platform like this, Bessie, your sanity would be up for question. Sure, and connection. Yeah. So, and and the thing is, you know, as I say, it's it's it is fifty fifty for people really. Some people, it's kind of business as usual with a little few changes. And for mm-hmm. some people, it's absolutely everything has changed. And how can I redefine and regenerate and recoup? Now, a lot of people are trying to uh, produce from within this frame. Say, extroverts trying to produce from within this frame. When what you've got to do not only is to produce. But to recuperate within this frame, to recover and to realize that this is traumatic. The pandemic, mm-hmm. basically, not the pandemic itself, as in the virus itself, the consequence of the virus itself is traumatic. And so for extroverts, they have to manage themselves a bit more, be a lot more compassionate, a lot more caring, and basically and not be so driven to, to dive in and, and dig into loads of things. Just pace, pace, pace. It's so critical, so important. What's happening is that a lot of people are ignoring the impact of this on their physiology, on their body. They see mm-hmm. the physical impact and the emotional impact. I would liken these things to death, basically, so that, you know, people are going through that process of, of trauma a lot of the time. So, and but because we're all in it together, people say, well, it mustn't be a trauma. It's just a bad day or whatever. This is hugely traumatic for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. you see uh, people being forced to stay at home, working from home, which got its benefits. Everything about it is chaos. That there's, you know, big chunk benefits and then big chunk crazy stuff. Okay? So, like, uh, you know, people staying at home, having their kids at home for the first time, or home educating uh, their, their kids and stuff, a huge trauma for them. It's then where they're used to a busy uh, corporate a- uh, atmosphere and, and a group atmosphere, then they're just bound by this um, completely changed situation. But not only just changed, it's not restorative because they may have two little explosions of two children going climbing up the walls looking for stuff to do as well and they're yeah. trying to get the job done as well that's the crazy stuff that and that's burning people out it's really important like 
more than ever now to pull and steal some time. Really, ironically, for extroverts, they have to incorporate some of the introvert behavior. And that really means cave behavior, which means mm -hmm. they're possible pulling away, even though they're just because they're confined doesn't mean they're by themselves, that type of thing. So, um, they, they, you know, typically extrovert will be keep talking, 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 talking all yeah, the time. And yeah. um, so for the for the introvert, that's, oh, my God, like, you know, this is not what I signed up for type of thing. But for the extrovert, the problem is, is that they have nowhere to send that energy, but they also need to pull back the fine stillness, the fine calmness, and then to redirect the creative energies as much as possible. They need that balance. Uh, the biggest people that are suffering are the extroverts. Yeah. And I know this, you know, we're all a bit of both. Yeah, but ultimately what we're talking about extreme preferences. Yeah, I'm a bit of a balance really. Sometimes uh, I'm really extrovert and I love to, I love to be social, but I also yeah. like my own space as well, which I've learned to do. I probably learned to do that when I was in New Zealand, staring at all these wonderful mountains and, lakes and i just went in myself because i just thought that sort of stuff just really sort of creates my calm and also creates my creativity that's why i go running up into the mountains nowadays and i get that area of peace and calm but the question that i'd like to pose to you brian is um and i probably know the answer already but i'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you eddie uh, i was watching this documentary uh the other week and i posed this question to everyone and it was uh it's all to do with this farm out in wales and all of the bands used to go there. Uh, Led Zeppelin went there and they produced the best um, uh, album that they ever produced. And then Queen went there and they did Bohemian Rhapsody. And then uh, then Oasis and Stone Roses and all through the 90s, Coldplay went there and they produced the best place. And the reason why they did that, they were completely isolated. And they, the bands, as bands do, they just went off and went a bit mad and did bother. But they were cr really creative. And they had that time and effort and that space to produce what they ever had to produce. So what's your creative space and how do you use it? And tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, well, my creative space, uh, well, first of all, that makes a lot of sense that they would do that. But um, because what happens, remember, if you can find activity, especially remember when you said you find your inner calm by running, they're yep. still moving. That's typical extrovert behavior that they still move while they're calming. Yeah, so it's a little bit like the dolphin, the brain is one brain's asleep, type of thing, the other's still awake, that type of stuff. So, but these guys, if you put them into that context, then their creative juices are going to just fire off completely because they're not doing the usual physical things. Yeah. yeah. So the, the energy has to come somewhere. So for, for me though, for me to be creative and um, to stimulate that sort of creative part of me, and um, basically that is always about researching or reading. Uh, it's always about learning. That's that's my drug, you know. So and what I will do is I will read, typically I might read about 10 books at once. So I love the idea of the clash of ideas. Or, or the way the brain tries to figure out what the hell am I actually trying to do, this concept. So and what happens then is that it reduces and generates stuff. Uh, equally well, I, I like to play with other states of consciousness, you know. So okay. a lot of my, um, and I kind of borrow from my sleep, uh, for a lot of people, they sleep in bed. For a lot of the time, what I do is go into theta consciousness in bed. And basically, sometimes it happens spontaneously, but that stuff is where the flow of ideas come um, literally racing through inside your mind. And I like to just indulge in that and find out where it actually takes me. So I have little rituals that I use. Um, they sort of the grounded rituals are, you know, basically just gathering um, knowledge together, whether that's through vid video or whether it's through books or whatever. And from multiple sources at once, and to try and find mix and match. And by the way, I think it was Michelangelo on that as well. 
and basically they used to just pull it from different areas and i just like that i've always done it i just like that idea of it it's the whole eclectic nature of the universe there's patterns everywhere so i like rather than find the pattern i like the pattern to present itself to me uh, basically through through literally just a, that kind of journey so i'll do that type of stuff um then the the downtime literally i will get my downtime i'll do i'm not a good gardener by any manner means but if i spend time out you know in the garden type of thing then i get the incubation period that's what happens then is that while i'm chilling while i'm relaxing the idea start a fire again and i'm pretty good at you know the kids often say to me that how can you do what you do like you can go onto a plane within two seconds you're asleep the reality is i'm not asleep i go into a deep altered state that's what i do automatically sometimes i'll sit asleep from there but generally i just i know how to get into a deep state i like to do those type of things that gives the brain downtime when the brain gets downtime then it starts to regenerate a lot of people don't realize that when you give it that really deep quality downtime mm-hmm. all the creative juices literally get re-stimulated it's not as if you have to climb back up it's the fact that if you impose nothing on yourself for a good period of time your brain will go on fire just like those guys uh, you know all the musicians basically your brain just has to it has to reboot in that way the trick is to be brave enough to give it the downtime still time to let it rather than what we do is we take a little bit of a break then we move on a little bit of a break move on it's horrendous um, and unhealthy wow that's that's really cool and uh, a lot of people i've been uh, speaking to recently uh also have that and as a bit of magic it's like a fairy dust that you're sprinkling a bit of magic i was watching a, a, a tv show the other days on netflix one of the many things that i watch every now and again um i can't remember the name of the movie now but what what they did they they had these special pills it it wasn't limitless it was a, something like that but they used to twist it and put it in their mouth and then they had a superpower for five minutes and they used these superpowers extra strength and visibility or flight or whatever it might be but they had to time it on their watch and then after that it sort of slowed down and just dissipated and went went away what was it, what would you have as a superpower what would you how would you use that superpower Okay, so what would it be, and what would I, what would be the superpower that I would like to have? Uh, basically, I, I suppose the ability to be able to move time and, through time and space, uh, basically in any form. So basically, so really effective things is really what I'm That'd be the one that I'd use because then you could study and learn and have fun as well. Like, you know, so basically, you know, I'd like the idea of, of morphing into different realities. I just love that idea. So that that would be my superpower. And, you know, that's the stuff that really intrigues me anyway. You know, it's the idea of different worlds. I've always been interested in different dimensions, different realities, different worlds. And we all have them. Each person has a different world, a different map. But really understanding how to get into someone else's map of the world. That's that's my job. It's what I do. So I see having a superpower to be able to do it fully, completely, I'd be happy out. Happy days. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> I really like that. If you were to give uh, something back to, I wouldn't say back to yourself when you're 23, but back to those uh, people in their 20s that are maybe struggling or maybe uh, ha- having to want something just to enrich their lives, what's what would you give them as a as a gift just to say, this is a gift, this is what you can possibly do if you just follow this one step? And then it's down to you to move on forward. The biggest thing, you know, what I would say is that the simplest, the biggest, the quickest, the easiest thing to do is to make happiness a priority. That's it. Like so that to make even just every single day that your first priority is being happier. 
day to sort it. And you're putting yourself first, deliberately self first. Say, okay, how can I make myself happier today? It doesn't mean happy, but happier. So that every day you're doing at least one thing that you're just changing the frame, making sure that you're, you're generating good feelings, learning how to run good feelings, learning how to build a good positive state. Because remember, when you talk with 20s and teens and stuff like that, what happens is they get caught up in the ugliness of the world and the, the, the concepts and the, the struggle and all that type of stuff. So, and just to change that simple frame and saying, okay, just put happiness on your agenda, that's all. Just, and it doesn't mean you have to be happy. Make yourself happier every single day because what will happen is your cumulative effect and before you know it, you'll have a backdrop feeling of feeling good more often, more of the time. So it's not about I smile through everything. It's just one thing. So that if you wake up and you want to sort of murder the world, just make yourself a bit happier. Murder half the world. That type of idea. Do you get the idea? So it's just edging your way towards it, building it in, basically, and, you know, from the science, it's habit stacking. Basically, so building it in in a very subtle way, basically linking it into a conditioned behavior and making it so that you can literally have the backdrop feeling. Remember, you know, once you build in that level of happiness, and when we say happiness, really the emphasis is happier, you know, happier, just better than you have been, you know, and not, it doesn't have to be uh, static. It, it, emotions are transient, they're always in motion. So basically, allowing yourself. As you arrive into your day, just say, I'm going to do one thing just to make myself happier today. And it can be a different thing or the same thing. Who cares? But just every day that you, at least you put on your agenda. And the really trick in this is you put on your agenda first thing in the morning. We know from the research, it sets up your day. So if you do, it's just like fitness or exercise or uh, meditation, anything like that. When you do it, they, the military got that right. They understood that, you know, once you do something in the morning, it tends to have an impact. If you get a small win, basically, and a small little thing of happening. By the way, that happiness could be, you know, uh, Frosties or something for breakfast because you love Frosties <laughs> or something, or M&M's, you know, I don't care. But just something small. And, and it's that thing that can just make you smile a little bit. And basically just, you know, just indulge in a moment of self-indulgence just for a moment, just to remind yourself that life is joyful. There's a whole heap of crap in it, but there's the capacity to be able to feel good more often. Not all of the time, just more often. And the thing is that it is a skill, so work the skill. Don't let anyone else tell you how to do it. Just find ways of doing it. Make it individual and personal to yourself. So you know what makes yourself happy. You know the little things in life. You know, it's the idea of like, if you like pizza, eat your pizza for breakfast or something. You know, basically give yourself that treat. Whatever it is, just a small little thing that will tweak it. It could be listening to your favorite tune or sound. Even if it's only for 15 seconds, once you do that, at least then you go through your day and say, you know what, I've done something for me today that made me feel good and reminded me that I'm supposed to literally enjoy life, that that's a, an ability that we have. However, you're alive. The least thing you can do for yourself is make sure that you enjoy some of it. Not all of it, some of it. There's enough crap. You'll have enough challenges. You'll have enough, uh, you know, hassle and, and resistance and restriction and, and impositions. Just, just a piece. Even if you got... Two minutes happiness in one day. If you worked on that for the rest of your life, you'd end up just feeling good more often. Absolutely. I totally buy into that because I think if you set up your day with a little bit of happiness, it, it makes a massive impact to the rest of your day. And I've noticed it myself. And Some days just I get stuck into that little loop and go, what can I do to get myself out of this loop? There's something not right here. So... I sometimes take myself off and uh, have a laugh at life I'll, or watch a YouTube clip. But I love Jimmy Carr and he makes me laugh every time because he just 
has has that bit of smut in there, but it's just so humorous. What do you do to get yourself back in into that space? How do you how do you get you get yourself back into that space very quickly? Uh, well, I yeah, I, I'm very intolerant with uh, bad moods. They say I always have been. So, um, you know, I, I I can't even listen to myself moan. You know, so basically, if I hear myself moan, it's oh, for fuck's sake. That's my immediate response to that. So straight away is that I will change and I will, I will snap out of it, deliberately snap out of it. I just don't like it. I, I don't like the feeling of it. And how I do it generally is by doing. I do something. Basically, I act on something. So that is, it may be, you know, picking up a book or whatever. It may be exactly what you said, like looking at a clip or whatever. It's movement of some description. I move out of wherever I am in that state. So if I'm in the bad mood, uh, you know, basically, and I'm in the sitting room or something like that. I move out of the sitting room to go somewhere else to get a physical move in the body because I know that once you move the body, you move the neurons, yeah? So, and really what it is, is just sh- kind of the, the simple version of shaking yourself out of it, that type mm-hmm. of idea, but creating movement because once we go still, once we go static, basically, and we're in, a, in that bad spiral, what happens is the brain keeps moving, basically, and we're in a locked state, and what happens is then we go down to the tunnel. What we want to do is just get out of it as quick as possible, move, energize, activate, you know, do exercise, do anything that causes any type of energy. That's what I tend to do. And that's, that will ground me back into my body and out of my head. You know, the, the head is the biggest problem, as you know. And um, so the thing is, when you're feeling, when you're not thinking well, or when you're not feeling as good, it's get into a physical activity, something mm-hmm. that moves your body, that's dance or whatever, or screaming or whatever, or stretching, anything like that. I will often, before a seminar, if I get a little bit wound up, I will de- deliberately stretch, basically, and I will pull all the muscles type of thing to get them to go into that outward movement. Because what they'll tend to do is contract. Basically, when you pull them back out, bang, you start to release and loosen again. Basically, just doing something, rather than trying to have a mental technique, have a physical technique. It's just as quicker, it's faster, because we're not thinking well at, at that point. I, I tend to do some star jumps. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and you'll probably laugh while you do them as well. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, I time myself and I say, well, I'm going to do 30 star jumps before I do a webinar or, or something like that. Uh, it raises the endorphins, just makes me feel good. I've got my heart pumping and I feel really yeah. good inside when I actually do that. So, I'm delighted with that. So, uh, look, I know your time is very precious and I'm delighted to have you on today and it's been wonderful and uh, so looked forward to having this ever since I've asked you to do it so and you've given uh, a wealth of good knowledge and what I like is you're very much down to earth and I love that I love I I look for in in people is uh, a lot of authenticity I know that word's been bounced around a lot but I'm just looking for people that I can connect with and I've always connected with you well I know you uh you're very humorous in uh, uh, your delivery and uh, a bit of banter backwards and forwards, but I love always. that. I, I, I always take that on board, so I absolutely love that. So, Brian, I know up there above your head, there is uh, a lot of stuff about yourself. Uh, BrianCorbett.ie or is it .com? I can't remember. And the oh, Irish Institute. Yeah, NLP.ie is really the place to go. You know, basically, you can get BrianCorbett.ie or NLP.ie. It'll get, it's all there. So um, uh, you've got up and coming courses uh, over uh, September, October, November, have you? Or have you got yeah. anything else planning? Yeah, we're, we're going to go back into the public training. again. as you know, we do a lot of online stuff as well. Yeah. I would do the online coaching as well. Uh, but uh, ultimately, we're going to start doing the 
NLP practitioner, business practitioner, master practitioner, coaching program. And that's all going to start. It's going to start in October, the beginning of October, 5th to the 10th, is the first segment. Um, so we'll get it all PPE approved and certified and all that stuff. And the good news is that it'll be a lot more um, uh, personalized because we'll have less people. So we'll have more time with each person, which is a good thing. And so for what we lose out on the, on the bigger group, we get, we will improve on, on the fact of uh, more one-to-one uh, -one time in that way. So it's, it's going to be, uh, going to be a lot more productive for people, a lot more effective for people. And it is limited. It just has to be because it makes yeah. it as well. Up to 15 people. So I believe, I think. It, oh, is that what they're saying? Yeah. We were looking I at 12. So. Yeah. yeah. Is it 15? I think it's 15. And uh, then, but that's wonderful. Uh, I highly recommend anyone to do that. And if you want to reach out to Brian, he's all over social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and you can connect at the Irish Institute of NLP.ie, and I highly recommend it. And thank you very much for your time, Brian. You've been wonderful. Oh, I was good to talk to you, Jason. Thank you. Take Cheers. It easy. Look after See you then. Bye now. You've listened to the Mindful Leadership Podcast with your host, Jason Cooper, and my very special guest, Brian Colbert from NLP.ie.